what I'd love to do this morning um, is talk to you about the gift of prophecy. Now, talking to this church about the gift of prophecy, it's, it's, like, it's like, I don't know, sell, selling snow to Eskimos. Uh, you know, there's, there's not... <laughs> Um, you know, you, you move in these things and, and uh, you believe in these things and all of that. But what I want to do is maybe for those who are newer to the church and, and also for others of us that we can forget, uh, I want to talk practically about how we can hear God speak. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I've become more and more convinced that the model that we have often in the church, that the gifts of the Spirit are for the elite few who are particularly anointed uh, to do the ministry to the many, I think, I, I think that's not very biblical. It's, you know, the, the, the anointing is on his whole church. Uh, the, anointing, the, the anointing is for all of us. Now, there are degrees of anointing. There are degrees of, you know, gifts and ministries and, and all of that. We're not all going to be evangelists, but we're all called to be witnesses. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not going to all be gifted in teaching from a platform, but we're all called to encourage and exalt one another. And it's the same with the gift of prophecy. The only qualification you need to hear God speak is to be a sheep. Because Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they recognize my voice. And in fact, if you've never heard Jesus speak, you're not a Christian. Because to be a Christian is to respond to the call, the invitation of Jesus. How can you respond if you haven't heard him speak? And I think he's speaking a lot more than we imagine. And what I want to do is I want to I encourage many of you that God is speaking to you. And it's simply about learning to listen. And it's simply about learning to step out. And, and the anointing isn't about plugging in uh, to the mains to get power. The anointing is about a relationship with a person. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's relational. And so uh, I want to try and be practical as I talk about this. And um, uh, the way I want to do this is uh, by talking about one of my favorite subjects, me. And uh, I really want to tell you about my story, and hopefully there'll be teaching that comes out as I tell you how I came into these things. And I'm going to be as honest as I can. Um, I was an accountant until I was 29 years old, and then God rescued me from a life of meaninglessness, drudgery, and boredom. Now, if you're called to be an accountant, that's exactly what you should be. If you're anointed to be an accountant, then you be an accountant. I wasn't called, I wasn't anointed. If you're gifted to being an accountant, then you be, I wasn't gifted either. It was killing me. I was in completely the wrong job. And anyone who knows me knows that that was just the wrong thing for me. And then when I was 29, the vicar of my church, for it's an Anglican church, and we call them vicars, the senior pastors, uh, he asked to see me, and he asked if I'd give up my job and be the full-time youth worker of the church. Well, I said yes before he could change his mind. And for four years, I, I was the youth worker of the church, and I loved it. I had a great time. But for some reason, I had in my head, and I don't know where I got this from, that kind of the Christian career path in church leadership is when you begin, you're put with the little people uh, where you can make all your mistakes and it doesn't really matter. And once you've done your stint with the little people and you're ready, then you're promoted to do proper ministry with adults. So after four years, I went to my vicar and I said, I think it's time I was promoted. And he said, are you sure that's what you want? And I said, I'm sure. And he went away and prayed about it. And then he came back and he said to me, okay, Mike, 
from the 1st of September, I am appointing you to be the assistant to the associate vicar. <laughs> and I like that title because it had the word vicar in it, which if you're an Anglican, that's quite sexy. And, uh, and I thought, I'm going to be the assistant to the associate vicar. And, uh, and then September came, the new youth worker was appointed, and um, um, he started. And I went into the office on my first day, and within a few minutes, I started to realize something was wrong. They gave me my new calling card. And I looked at it and it said, Mike Pilavarchi, ass to ass vicar. <laughs> and then it went downhill from there. And within days, I realized that working with grown-ups is the most boring thing in the world. Everything happened in slow motion. Would you like another cucumber sandwich? <gasps> Somebody kill me. You know, it was like, please. And not only that, but I found I missed the young people. I missed the youth group. I realized it wasn't a job. It was my life. I loved them. They were my family. And I had to keep away from them because the new youth worker was appointed. And, the, and it wasn't fair on him if the old youth worker was hanging around. And for six months, I was in agony. I realized, I thought, I made a terrible mistake. I feel vulnerable. I feel useless. I can't do that. I don't want to do this job. I can't go back. And I just, I just felt like in between. And it, it, it was agony. And after six months, a colleague of mine in the church leadership called Barry Kissel was invited to go to France to speak at a youth camp. And he asked me to go with him just to keep him company. I wasn't invited. They knew nothing about me. They knew nothing about my situation. We arrived, and the night before the camp started, we met with the French pastors. And we had a meal together. There were about 12 or 15 French pastors and myself and Barry around this big dinner table. At the end of the meal, we cleared the plates away and we prayed together. The French pastors prayed in French and Barry and I prayed in English and someone translated. Uh, obviously not for the Lord's sake because he's bilingual, but for hours so that we could understand each other. And then in the middle of the prayer meeting, one, I noticed one of the French pastors get up and start walking to the door. And as I was watching him walking to the door, he went to the coat stand and instead of taking his coat, he picked up this little girl's coat, a coat that would be worn by maybe a five-year-old girl. And I thought, what's he doing with that? And then instead of walking out, he started walking back to the table. My interest started to get mingled with apprehension when I realized he was walking towards me. And he came to where I was sitting, and he stood in front of me, and he opened this little girl's coat, and he looked at me, and he said, put it on. And I thought, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I can't put it on. And then he said a second time, put the coat on. That's a French accent for you to... And, uh, and, and at this stage, I was getting worried and everyone had stopped praying. And I looked across at my friend Barry and I went like this. And Barry, being the man of faith and power that he is, he closed his eyes and carried on praying. <laughs> And I knew I was on my own. I knew I was on my own. So, so I said to him, I can't put it on. And then he said a third time, put it on. And this time I thought, I need to meet him halfway. So I tried to put my fingers in the sleeves. And I got three fingers in the sleeves. And I went, mm, mm, mm. And then I took my fingers out. And I looked at him and I said, you see, I can't put it on. And then he looked at me and he said, why not? And I thought, he's thick as well as French. <laughs> 
So I started to talk to him the way we Brits talk to foreigners when we think they don't understand. I said, because it doesn't fit. No. And then he said, exactly. And God says to you, stop trying to put the old coat back on. The old coat doesn't fit you anymore. You're between coats, between ministries. And you feel naked and you feel vulnerable. And you want to run back to the old coat, the old ministry, because it's safe. And because it's secure. But God says, trust me, I'm in this. Wait for me. I'm going to put on you a new coat, a new ministry that will fit you for the next phase of your life. Well, when he said that, I tell you, my heart started to pound. And it was like, oh my goodness. And you know, two thoughts came into my head. And the first one, I'm really ashamed to say, I'm really ashamed to say the first thought was, God really does exist. And I know I shouldn't have had my doubts because he pays my salary. And uh, by the way, that's the difference between me and most of you. I'm paid to be good. You, on the other hand, are good for nothing. And, uh, um, sorry, I had to do that. And, uh, and, 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 and the second thought was, and it's not an accident where I'm at. He knows all about me. He knows what's going on in my life. He's in this. He's got a plan. And I wanted to run around the room going, yes, God, yes, God, yes. But I'm an English Anglican, and we don't do that. You do that. We don't do that. So I said a quiet hallelujah, amen. And then I went home, and I started thinking about what I'd just seen and what had just happened. I thought, wow. That's obviously the gift of prophecy. And up until that point, the only way I'd seen prophecy operate was, you know, in, in a service, three quarters of the way through the worship, there'd be a time of quiet, and then someone will get up and say something like, I have a picture of a waterfall, and God says, I love you. And then the next Sunday, three quarters of the way through the worship, someone will get up and say, I have a picture of an ocean, and God says, I'm very big. And then the next week it would be, I have a picture of a lake. And God says, I'm very peaceful. And they would always involve water. And, you know, they they were good. There wasn't anything bad. But this was in a different league. This was completely different. And then I thought, I better study what this is. So I started reading the book. And I'd read this book for years. And I don't know how I didn't notice. But this book, this Bible, it's, it's, it's a record of God speaking prophetically to his people. He spoke the world into existence. Let there be light. He spoke to a wandering nomad called Abraham. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Joseph through dreams. He spoke to Moses at a burning bush. He spoke to Gideon through a fleece. He spoke to Samuel when he was a little boy in the temple and so on and so on and so on. There's a whole section of the Old Testament called the books of the prophets, which is a record of God's prophets speaking to Israel. Then I turned to the gospels and I saw how Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing in John chapter five. I saw that he says, in another place I only speak the words my father gives me to speak and how Jesus seemed to be led by the voice of his father then I turned to the acts of the apostles and I saw an early church that that was dynamically led by the voice and the power of God he sent them prophets regularly who would tell them what to do and then I turned to the letters and there was one verse that just hit me between the eyes and it was 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 Where Paul says, make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. 
especially the gift of prophecy. And you know, I'd read that so many times, but you know the phrase I didn't really notice, I didn't register, was eagerly desire. Eagerly desire. I thought, what does eagerly desire mean? I thought, I'll look it up in the original Greek. Do you know what it means in the original Greek? It means to desire with eagerness. It's what I do before a meal. I eagerly desire. And do you know what I'd done with the gifts of the Spirit up until then? I'd said to God, God, others may want your gifts, the toys, the trinkets, but I'm on a different spiritual plane. While others may want the gifts, I just want you the giver. While others may want the works of your hands, I want to see your face. Now that's very spiritual and it's very holy and it's very wrong. Because because God says eagerly desire my gifts because it's through my gifts that you find me it's through my gifts that you see me it's through my gifts that you come to the giver because that's how you dis- you find out what I'm really like and so when I read that and I thought eagerly desire and then it said especially the gift of prophecy and I thought why especially the gift of prophecy and the clue comes two verses later on in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 Paul says, for anyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And that is the purpose of New Testament prophecy, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort in the context of the church gathered. And the last time I checked in on the church, we still needed a bit of strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So I thought, I'm convinced. So I'm going to eagerly desire, especially, the gift of prophecy. So I went up to my bedroom And I closed the curtains because I've always believed it's more holy in the dark. And then I said, okay, Lord, I eagerly desire especially the gift of prophecy. Give me a prophecy now. Speak to me now. And you know, no one had explained to me how you hear God speak. So I had, I imagined that you had to concentrate really, really hard to tune in to the right spiritual frequency. You know, like those old-fashioned radios. So I said, Lord, give me the gift of prophecy. And then I went like this. Like that. And you know, now... I realize that that's not how you get the gift of prophecy. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is the gift of constipation. (laughs) I mean, how can you hear anything? How can you hear anything when you're going, ah? And after ages of straining, the only thing that came into my head was spaghetti. (laughs) And believe me, there's only so many things you can do prophetically with spaghetti. The Lord says to you, bolognese, to you, carbonara. (laughs) And after that, unless the person's Italian, it doesn't really make any sense. So I thought, well, I've eagerly desired especially. It hasn't come. I'll forget it. It's not my gift, but at least I asked. And then uh, literally a few weeks later, the the vicar, the senior pastor of my church, uh, started a, um, um, uh, a course, a retreat, for church leaders and, uh, and their spice. And uh, he would invite um, uh, uh, about 15 church, church leaders, pastors, and, uh, to come and to spend 10 days with us. And I heard that on the, last, on the last night, on the Tuesday night, it was going to be a prophetic evening. 
And someone who was prophetically gifted, a church leader called Bruce Collins, was going to come with an assistant from his church who was also prophetically gifted, and they were going to prophesy to everyone, and it would be a receiving evening. Well, when I heard that, I said, could I come and watch, because I was intrigued. And they said I could sit at the back as long as I didn't disturb anything. And then I sat at the back, and Bruce and his assistant sat on two chairs in the front, and then there were two chairs in front of them, and then there were these pastors and their spies sitting in a semicircle, and Bruce would invite two of them to sit in front of them, then they would pray quietly, and then after a while, Bruce started to prophesy to them, and he would say things like, "Um, uh, uh, I think the Lord wants to say to you through Ezekiel, uh, this, this, and this, and this is what you're going through through and this is what's happening and you know what my eyes were on stalks because people were saying gosh that that's exactly what we're going through that's exactly what we were struggling with and 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 they were strengthened encouraged and comforted well at the end of the meeting I went up to Bruce and I said how did you do that how did you do that when I tried all I got was spaghetti and he said well well Mike you know you it's in relationship. You just need to learn to listen to his voice. And, and he said, and actually, the way you grow in the gifts of the Spirit is by exercising them. We prophesy according to our faith. And he said, it's like going to the gym. And to grow your bicep, you exercise your bicep. Well, the way you grow in the gift of prophecy is by exercising your prophecy muscle. It's by stepping out. And you learn to discern the more you step out. Because, you do it, you, because faith is a doing word. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be doing this again in six weeks. In six weeks' time, why don't you come and be my assistant and we'll do it together? And I said, okay. And the reason I said okay was because he said it would be in six weeks' time. And I thought, I've got six weeks to clean up my act. I've got six weeks to repent of my sin. I've got six weeks to get spiritual, to get holy. And I made some decisions. I thought, right, I'm now going to pray every day for six weeks. I'm going to read my Bible every day for six weeks. I'm going to fast every day for six weeks. Easy. Between meals. Because that's how I do my fasting. (laughs) And at the end of six weeks, I will be spiritual Superman and I will be worthy for God to speak to me. Well, you can probably guess what happened. (laughs) I forgot. (laughs) And then six weeks later, I woke up one morning and I reached out for my diary to see what I was doing that day. And I sat bolt upright in a cold sweat because I suddenly realized today's the day when I'm meant to become a prophet of God. And I, I sat there in bed and I thought, I don't feel very prophetic. I got up, I looked in the mirror and I thought, I don't look very prophetic. In fact, I look more pathetic than prophetic. And, and then I thought, you know what, this is going to be a disaster. And I had this, I just, this scenario came into my head that that night I was going to be sitting next to Bruce and there would be these pastors and their spies sitting in a semicircle and the first couple would sit in front of us and I would, um, and, Bruce, and we would pray and then Bruce would uh, prophesy out of Ezekiel and then he would turn to me and everyone else would turn to me and Bruce would say, and what do you have, Mike? And I would say, not a lot. And then the second couple would sit in front of us and Bruce would prophesy from Ezekiel and then he would turn to me and everyone else would turn to me and Bruce would say, and what do you have, Mike, for this couple? And I would say, pass. 
And it would be a humiliation because I would be for the first prophet in the history of Christianity who never prophesied. How can you have a prophet who never prophesies? And it would be embarrassing. And I thought, I've got to practice before I get there. And I thought, where can I practice that's, you know, that's, that's not scary? So I asked the Lord to give me a prophetic word for the cat. And so I looked at my cat and I said, Jeremy, the Lord says to you, meow. (laughs) And can I tell you this in all humility and with no pride or arrogance, Jeremy seemed blessed. But, do you know, I knew that that wasn't going to do it. That, that having, trying to prophesy to a cat was not a substitute. So I thought, I need to do this on real people. So I went to the supermarket, and I got my shopping trolley out, and I started wandering around the supermarket, seeing if God would speak to me for the other shoppers. And I remember I stood at one point at the end of an aisle, and there was this elderly lady putting breakfast cereal into her trolley. And you know, sometimes you get the feeling someone's looking at me, and she stopped, and she looked up the aisle And she saw me. And all I did was scare people. And I went home and I was so discouraged and the hours were ticking away. And I had to leave soon for the meeting. And I got so desperate and I thought, how can I get out of this meeting? And I thought, I don't know how I can get out of this meeting. Maybe if I got ill. So I asked the Lord to give me an illness. I prayed that I would get ill. I laid hands on myself backwards. You know, less Lord, less but I didn't get ill. I was as healthy as I'd been before I prayed. The Lord does not always answer prayer. And, and then I got in the car and I started driving to the venue with a very heavy heart. And as I was driving, I was getting desperate. I was thinking, right, right. If I don't get the gift of prophecy, maybe I can try the gift of guessing. Maybe that will work instead. You know, and then I realized, well, that's not really going to work unless you have a prophetic word like the Lord says, you're a man. And even that you can get wrong these days sometimes, can't you? (laughs) So I thought, what am I going to do? And then I arrived and we stopped. I stopped the car and I walked in. And as I walked in, I I overheard one of the pastors whispering to another one, I think that's one of the prophets. And I thought, oh no, oh no. And then I thought, well, if I can't be prophetic, I may as well look prophetic. So I tried to give them my best prophetic look. And then Bruce saw me and he invited me to come and sit next to me. And it was my nightmare scenario. There was Bruce and me. There was the pastors in the semicircle. There was the the two chairs in front of us. Bruce invited the first couple to sit in front of us. And then we prayed and we waited. And as we prayed, I was just desperate. I said, Lord, just give me one word for one person. If you just give me one word, I don't want any more, just one, then I'll never do this again. And if you give me one word, I'll do anything you want. I'll be nice to my sister. I'll go as a missionary to Australia. I'll do anything you want if you just give me one word. Do you ever do deals with God like you beg him? No, okay, just me. And, uh, and, and you know, after ages, of, it felt like ages of sitting there, the only thing that came into my head was Dancing Queen by ABBA. And, and I, I, I said, Lord, stop messing around. This is not the time. I need a word for someone. And then I thought, maybe it's not the Lord. Maybe it's the devil. So I started rebuking the, the enemy. And I tried to cast 
dancing queen out of my head and it wouldn't go and I tried not to think about it but the more I tried not to think about it the more it, dancing queen was pounding in my skull and guys here men here you know what I'm talking about don't you you know exactly what I'm talking about don't you I will not think that thought what thought that thought oh no I just thought it you know it, you know that one well it was happening with me with dancing queen and it was like I just couldn't stop and then Bruce starts to prophesy and he's and it is to Ezekiel and it's like oh, my heart sinks and then after a while he turns to me and everyone else turns to me and Bruce says and what do you have Mike <laughs> I close my eyes for a moment and I pray the prayer I always pray when nothing else is going to work when I know I'm in terrible trouble I prayed for the second coming <laughs> I said Lord return now end the world now you're gonna do it sometime if you really care about me you'll do it now and I was quoting scripture at him a day is as a thousand years to the Lord it's a day and of course he didn't return then did he because if he did we wouldn't be here would we <laughs> although some of you would um, that, sorry that's a and and, and so I was like, oh no, what do I do? And I opened my eyes and I knew if I say pass, then I'm never ever going to say anything. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. Do you get it? Take a chance on me. Oh, come on. So I thought, I'm going to take a chance. And I looked at this pastor's wife. And it's because I didn't know what else to do. And I said to her, I wonder if maybe the Lord wants to say to you, in the words of Abba, <laughs> you can dance. Mm -hmm. You can jive. Having the time of your life. And then I wanted to die. I said, ground, swallow me up. Pinch myself, this is a dream. No, it's actually happening to me. I'm actually doing this. And then this couple started laughing in front of me. And by this stage, you know, I got to the stage where I was beyond caring. You know, I, I'd had enough. You know, it's so much stress, it's like, I don't care anymore. And I got angry. And I thought to myself, I remember thinking, I hope and pray that the day comes when you step out in faith and it all goes horribly wrong for you. Oh, how I hope and pray that on that day I'm there to have a good laugh at you. But of course I didn't say that. And then this pastor's wife said to me, I suppose you're wondering why we're laughing. And I thought, yeah, and I have a feeling you're going to tell me. And then she said something that astounded me. She said, three weeks ago in our church, I started a dance group with two other ladies so that we could express worship in dance in the services. And as we were driving to this meeting, literally a few minutes ago, I said to my husband, I said, when we get back, I'm going to tell the other women, let's scrap the dance group. What was I thinking trying to start a dance group? And I actually said to my husband, I can't dance. I can't dance. God can even speak through ABBA, a second-rate Swedish dance group. I was, I was the most surprised person there. I was like, ooh, ooh, ABBA. Abba, really? Because I, I just thought, this is not, 
this, this is not religious enough. You know, this is, this is, this is Abba. And you know, because I expected God to speak like, hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down, duck. You know, and to talk in, in kind of like Morgan Freeman, you know. And, and do you know, I've discovered that God isn't very religious. In fact, he hates religion. And, and, and afterwards, I went up to Bruce and I said, what was that? I said, that was Abba. How can that be God? And he said, why couldn't it be God? And I said, I don't know. It just doesn't seem. And then Bruce said, of course it's the Lord. Why wouldn't it be? Haven't you read the Bible? God speaks our language. He's the great communicator. He said, and God doesn't speak clearly. And he often speaks in riddles and, and all of that. And he said, haven't you ever read the book of Ezekiel? And I remember thinking, I know you have. And he said, in Ezekiel, it's wheels within wheels and chariots of fire and dry bones coming together. And he said, God speaks our language. He speaks in a way we can understand. Stop making him religious. And then he said, I wouldn't be surprised if in in this case you probably like Abba and you have some of their albums. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. And it was like, wow, wow. And the reason I tell you that story, and the reason I'm going to tell you one more story before we finish, is because so often in the church, I've noticed, we've, we've so super-spiritualized this stuff that we've disenfranchised the majority of the church. The whole ministry of Jesus is for the whole church of Jesus. The only way we're going to win the world is if we all get up. And I keep meeting Christians. I keep meeting Christians who, di- who, who have disqualified themselves. And they've said it because I'm too weak. I'm too broken. I'm not spiritual enough. I've messed up too much. You know what? If God can use some of the people he used in the Bible, there's hope for me and there's hope for you. God uses us in our weakness. He uses us in our brokenness. He uses us in, in, in all those things. God, God takes ordinary things. He puts his treasure in jars of clay. One more story. Uh, just from um, uh, a few weeks after that, I, 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 I got to do it again with Bruce. And this time uh, before the meeting, we had a meal with the pastors. And I was sitting opposite this couple and the wife to make conversation. She said to me, I hear you're Greek. And I said, I am of Greek extinction. Yes. And she said, I lived in Greece once. And I thought this could be such a boring conversation. I changed the subject. That's as far as we got. And then in the meeting, she and her husband sat in front of us. And as we were praying and I was asking the Lord to speak to me, I was horrified. I was horrified when a Greek swear word came into my head. And I just was disgusted with myself. Just because she told you she lived in Greece. As you're asking God to speak to you, you're swearing in Greek? You're swearing. What sort of, are, are you really saved? Are you really a Christian? Have you lost so I was mortified. And then I thought, you know what? I'll deal with this later. I'll get counseling later. I'll sort it out later. But what, what I'll do now is I'll say pass. Because, and does anyone here speak Greek? Well, I'm going to teach you a bit. The word... Don't ever use this. Um, the word that came into my head was the Greek word skadula. And skadula literally means female excrement, female poo. And in Greek, uh, things are neutral and masculine and feminine. So skada is poo, skadenos is male poo, and skadula is female poo. 
Now, I've examined all three, and I can't tell the difference, to be honest. But in Greek, there is a difference. And skadula is a terrible thing, female excrement. It's a terrible thing to say to a woman. It's a terrible insult. And so I thought, of course, I'm not going to say anything. And I decided that. And then I looked up, and I noticed Bruce was looking at me funny. And I said, what's, what you look, what's wrong? And he said, do you know, I think God's just told me that he's given you a word for this woman. I was like, no, 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 it can't be, it can't be. And do you know what was I going to do? I don't know what to do. I was petrified. I was not God's man of faith and power. I was God's man of brokenness and weakness and absolute fear. And I looked at this pastor's wife and I said, forgive me if this is wrong. But I think that maybe God wants to say to you, in his eyes, you are not a skadula. At that point, she fell off the chair. She was sobbing. She was racked in cries. She was crying in her husband's arms. We had to stop the meeting. And after a while, she composed herself a bit. And we found out the story. Before she was married to this pastor, she'd been married previously to a Greek man. That's why she lived in Athens. And he abused her and he treated her badly. And in all their marriage, he never called her by her name, Mary. He, the only word he ever used for her was skadula, female excrement. And you know, when, when, their, when his friends came round to his house, he would say, say, skadula, make us coffee. When he was introducing her to people, he wouldn't say, this is my wife. He would say, this is my female excrement. And do you know, God spoke to her that evening and he set her free from her pain and he showed her his love and his kindness and his goodness. And I nearly didn't say it. I nearly didn't say it. And you see the way God speaks, guys, it's, you know, we think it's, we think he shouts. You know, in the Bible, he shouts to his enemies. He whispers to his friends. I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have received from my father, I have made known to you. Everything, everything. You know, God was not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire, but in the gentle whisper. He whispers. Why does he whisper? So that we might come close. I can't hear you, Lord. Come closer. I can't hear you. Come closer. He wants us to come so close that we can feel his breath on our neck. Because his, his desire is intimacy with us. And to hear God speak, we make the mistake. Most of us feel that we have to dial up to hear God speak. It's not dial up. It's dial down. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Still your heart. And, and it's like a butterfly landing and taking off. And it's learning to be sensitive to his voice. And over the last few years, the last four years, I've been on a journey that just, just killed me. And I've seen God meet with people in the most amazing ways. And always it's been in weakness. Always it's taken, he's taken my breath away. He's taken my breath away Gen genuinely. He keeps taking my breath away. I'll just tell you just maybe one a, a, a story to him. Just from this summer, just from this summer uh, in England, it's August, your winter, um, we were at our Soul Survivor Festival 
And uh, literally, I was just standing on the platform uh, in, the, in the meeting, in the ministry time, and, and suddenly this thought came into my head. And the way it works is, uh, you know, just for me, it's like, I've just had a thought. That's a funny thought. That's an interesting thought. Why did I think that thought? And I started realizing sometimes maybe that's the Lord. And this thought came into my head. There's someone here called Brian, and uh, he's not a Christian. He doesn't know me. And he's been cynical all the way through, and he's been laughing and teasing uh, with his friends about everything. And he's just prayed to me. Literally, he's just prayed to me, and he said, God, if you're here, would you show me? Would you speak to me? So I went to the microphone, and I said, I think there's someone here. Your name is Brian. Your friends brought you. You've been cynical. You've been laughing about this. You've been dismissing it. But just a few moments ago, no one else knows this, but you know this. You prayed because something happened to you, and you said, God, if I'm wrong, and if you're here, and if this is you, would you speak to me? Would you show me? And I said, Brian, where are you? Why don't you come forward? And this kid came forward in tears, in tears. And folk gathered round him and prayed for him. And he gave his life to Jesus. And afterwards, you know what he was? He was going around saying to everyone, ah, he knows my name. He knows my name. He came to me. He met me. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. One very last story with a few seconds left. This isn't from me. This is a, a friend of mine, and I love it. My, it's my friend. His name's Sam Miller. And Sam I've known for over 20 years, and he lives in Birmingham in the middle of England, and he's been a youth worker on the estates um, with the, the, the kids that are from a rough backgrounds. And uh, in May, he was walking through a park, and he noticed this guy sitting on a bench. And as he was walking by, he felt the Lord say to him, his name is Daniel, and he feels like he's in a prison, and he can't get out of the prison. And I want you to go and tell him that I love him, and I can release him from his prison. Well, Sam went up to Daniel, and he said, excuse me, uh, but I'm a follower of Jesus, and I think Jesus has spoken to me for you. Is your name Daniel? The guy said aggressively, no, it's not. And Sam thought, oh, no, I've got it wrong. And then he said, you know what, while I'm here, I may as well tell you the other bit. I thought God said to me, Jesus said to me, that you feel you're in a prison, you can't get out, and you're trapped, and you've got no hope. And Jesus wants you to know he loves you, and he's got a future for you, and he can release you from your prison. At that point, the guy started weeping, and he said to my friend Sam, I lied to you. My name is Daniel. You just freaked me out. I, 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 just, I just didn't get what was going on. And he said, that's exactly where I'm at. And Sam sat down next to Daniel for two hours. He found out that Daniel was sitting on that park bench, getting ready to commit suicide. He was sitting there, and the next thing he was going to do was kill himself because he had no hope. And for the next two hours, they talked. Sam led Daniel to the Lord, and Daniel became a Christian. And now um, Daniel's in the church, and it's a church led by my friend Tim Hughes. And, uh, and just a few months ago, Sam got up in the church and he told his side of the story, what happened. And then Daniel got up and Daniel told his side. And you know, Daniel said, he said, I was about to kill myself. I had no one left in my life. Everything had gone wrong. I had no hope. And God sent me someone to that bench to tell me that he loved me. And now I know there's a God who loves me. I've got a father who loves me. And then he said, I've got a church. I belong to a family. I'm part of this family. And I'm so happy. And you know, Daniel goes to everything. He's at everything. Can you imagine? 
if some had walked by. Don't walk by. Take a risk. Take a risk. What's the worst that can happen? You get it wrong, nobody dies. Get out of the boat. Walk on the water. Have a go. You will be amazed. God wants to use you to set people free. Someone shouted out over there, that's what it's for. That's exactly what it's for. That's exactly what it's for. God bless you guys. I love you. It's been a privilege being with you. See you later. You know, with a little bit of coaching and help, Mike, you could actually develop into a, a preacher. Yeah. So good, Mike. So good. Thank you. Love your heart that comes through. I don't know how anyone can be as funny as that all morning, three sessions, and just, it just, and just impart the heart of God as well at the same time. I just can't imagine how many lives have been rescued, impacted through your ministry, through your love, and through your realness as well. So thank you for blessing us as well. I can't wait for tonight. I know that it'll be, it'll, it'll go over the top. I would encourage you to come back, invite someone and bring them along as well. But why don't we put our hands together one more time for Mike. For great, great, great message. Wonderful message. love that story of Daniel right at the end there. What, a, what an impacting, impacting um, story that he told us there. Why don't you bow your heads in prayer just for a few moments, please. What you've heard today through Mike that maybe more than anything else, there's two things that stand out. One is he knows your name. God knows your name. Who you are, where you're at, what's going on in your life, he knows everything about you. Not only does he know your name, he loves you. He loves you more than any words I could ever use to express how great is God's love for you. He knows your name, he loves you, but he's also got a fantastic future in store for your life. If you're in a prison, he can set you free. If your life is troubled, he can work miracles in your life. He is the answer that you're searching for. He is the hope that you're longing for. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you're looking for the way, it's Jesus. If you're looking for the truth, it's Jesus. If you're looking for life, it's found only in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life, Daniel, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Ask Him to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, have your name written in the Lamb's book of life so that you will spend eternity in heaven when you pass from this life. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now before we wrap up this service to receive Jesus into your heart. Or maybe if you're backslidden, you're away from God, you, you knew Him once but things have gone wrong and you're off course now, but you want to come back to Him today. If that is you, I'd love to pray with you. Well, heads about and people are just praying, church, if you just pray for the next couple of minutes as we wrap this service up. You don't know Jesus and you want to, or you're away from God, you need to come back to Him and you'll let me pray for you. If that is you, would you just do something real simple right now? Just raise your hand. Lift it up.